0: So I've been searching for a clean electrolyte company that I love for a really long time, and I just hadn't found anything that I liked, that I enjoyed the taste of, that I felt good about the ingredients, until I found Element. And I actually got a sample from somebody, and I was instantly hooked. They have really good flavors. They're actually tasty. Like, I enjoy drinking them, whereas other brands that I've tried in the past, I really haven't enjoyed. And you can just put them straight into your water, um, and they're so good. So they have salt, magnesium, and potassium potassium in them. And a lot of people don't realize how important electrolytes are for true hydration. A lot of us are chugging water because we're being told that we need more water, but we're not drinking the electrolytes that we need to actually hydrate our bodies. And so Element is a great choice. They also make seasonal chocolate flavors that are really good as like a hot chocolate. And you can put them in your coffee if you want, or just with hot water and like milk or just plain. I like to drink them plain. I love Element. I have at least one pack a day electrolytes are so important, especially for pregnancy and breastfeeding. So if you're lacking your electrolytes, give Element a try. You can use my link, Drink Element. It's drinklmnt.com slash Taylor K. And you will get a free gift with your purchase, which is a sample pack. So you can try all of the flavors. Again, that's drinklmnt.com slash Taylor Hello, everybody. Welcome. Today, we have an episode about birth and birth preparation. And we have Stephanie King joining us. Stephanie is mom to three boys, all born very differently. She's a professional childbirth educator, doula, host of the Pregnancy and Birth Made Easy podcast and creator of the online course, My Essential Birth. Stephanie's passionate about empowering women through knowledge to trust in their bodies and the process of birth. When she's not doing birth work, you can find her homeschooling, serving in her church calling, indulging in good food and company and spending time in the sun with her kids. So I am so passionate about birth and I'm excited for this podcast episode. I'm excited for you guys to listen to this conversation that's all about the importance of birth preparation and how we can prepare for birth. So without further ado, let's get to the conversation. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining me today. Would you mind just first introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do for those that don't know you? Yes. Um,
1: Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here today. My name is Stephanie King. I am a professional doula and childbirth educator, or at least that's my professional expertise. That's kind of my passion. Um, I also am a mom to three incredible boys. I had very different birth experiences that led me to what I do today. Um, And I I have a podcast called Pregnancy and Birth Made Easy. So I'm the host of that podcast. And then we have an online childbirth education course at myessentialbirth.com. Mostly, I am a mom and I homeschool, and I'm overwhelmed most of the time.
0: <laughs> Just like the rest of us, <laughs> right? <Exactly>.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> um, I would love to hear about like what got you interested in doing the birth work that you do. Yeah. So I I had
1: kind of a rough go with my first birth. Hold on, I'm gonna put you in the center of my screen so I can look at you. There you go. Um had a rough go with my first birth. So I kind of just during that pregnancy had decided I want to be able to do this unmedicated. This is just what's going on in my head. I had no particular reasons for the thoughts. This is just my own personal. I'm like, I want to be able to give birth to this baby, no medication, you know, do it the way that I want to do it. Um, But I didn't do any preparation for that necessarily, other than I found a birth book on Amazon, like late, late in pregnancy while I was working. And I'm like bawling reading the birth stories, you know, and I'm (laughs) like, that's what I want my birth to look like. Like that right there um, and it just so happened that that book also had a class and so I started looking for classes in the area and it was this like months a couple of months long course and and I was at like 34 35 weeks I mean very very end of my pregnancy um and it just wasn't gonna work and she's like well I can meet with you on the weekends but it's gonna be all this extra money and my husband was working needless to say we didn't take the class so we took all the hospital classes that could have been offered. They were useless when it came to preparing my body and birth for pregnancy. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, here's the hospital policies and all that kind of stuff. Um, so when I kind of woke up during the night because I was having contractions but didn't know exactly what they were, and I had a little bit of trickle of water, and the provider said, okay, you need to come in to your birthplace. Um, or to the hospital to get checked out. And it was in fact, um, amniotic fluid, even though like my water hadn't burst or anything like that. Uh, I didn't know enough to, to have any say in it. It was like, Oh, that's what you do. Okay. I'm going to go. And the things kind of just cascaded from there. And to be honest, to take it back for a second, when I was meeting with this provider, um, prior to this birth, I remember telling him, you know, I want, I want to go unmedicated and whatever. And he was an older gentleman. He's very nice. Um, but he kind of said, you know, you know, first time moms and he kind of gave me that talk and you know, the Mm. pain. And I actually let my, a lot of my patients get their epidurals earlier. Like why, why go through the pain if you don't have to kind of stuff. At one point he told me, um, women with size five and a half shoe tend to have cesarean births, like (sighs) size five and a half shoe and lower tend to have cesarean births. And I'm just sitting here like processing all the information, like. How is that possible? You and know, coming from a mother, man, who oh. it's rough. Um, but I just remember having all these thoughts of like, like, what is happening right now? He wouldn't even have the talk about um, medication or epidurals or what the birth plan is until 36 weeks, which by that time in a first-time mom is too late for me to feel comfortable making any changes. I think he knew that. So anyways, all of that led up to now I'm in the hospital with this tiny little drip of amniotic fluid. I'm not having contractions. And so what happens, you know, the Pitocin, which I asked the nurse, do I need Pitocin? She came, she's like, let me ask the provider. She came back, used the word need. I remember thinking, okay, well that, that must be what has to happen. Um, anyways, and my, my baby didn't didn't take the Pitocin well. And that birth ended in a cesarean birth, um, because of all of those interventions and me not being knowledgeable enough, even to have a good support team that could support me. And, um, so then, you know, next baby and we're overseas in Germany, which they are just naturally more chill. And the midwives are the ones that birth with you and, and you don't see an OB at all, unless it's an emergency. Um, Anyways, that birth changed my life. That was incredible, but I still had an epidural. So like at the time I had taken a birth class. I really wanted this natural experience, but it led to, okay, things were too hard. I didn't have all the tools. My husband and I weren't working together. I didn't know exactly what I needed. There was some miscommunication between German language and my language. And um, I had an epidural vaginal birth after cesarean. So it was a great birth, but I was like, man, for me, I really wanted that unmedicated experience. Yeah. And then fast forward. Sorry, this is my long, right? No, I love <laughs> like this it. This is like, we love birth
0: stories. <laughs> okay, good.
1: Um, but then yeah, fast forward to next baby and we're moving from Germany back to the United States. And I reached out, it's a small community, you know, we're in North Dakota, right? So I reach out to, to the one hospital in the area and they're like, oh, we don't care that you've had a VBAC. Like you need to plan for another cesarean. We don't do that here. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, flashing red flags everywhere. What do I do? So um, I got involved with kind of the community there and, and I reached out to a home birth midwife and I said, I'm going to need a doula this time. I need a little more support. Um, that birth was incredible. Um, I mean, even with, I had like five days, five to seven days of prodromal labor, my contractions were not what everybody else's does. They stayed about six minutes apart, like the whole time. Um, it, I, I wouldn't have hit any of those markers in a hospital setting that said, this is going to end well, right? That like, we don't need to get involved. And so not being in that setting and being in a home with an entire team, family and um, professional support that was like, no, you're doing great. You're fine he just, just that alone was like, Oh my gosh, I can do this. Um, and then that baby was born at home after, um, a fairly long labor, a long pushing stage because I was mentally like, can I do this? You know? Um, but, but it was the most incredible experience of my entire life. And I just remember thinking at the end of it, if I can do this, anyone can do this. Um, And so obviously that lit my fire for wanting to spread the good news and, and do what I do today, which I started teaching birth courses and became a professional doula.
0: um, And then we eventually brought it online so I could serve more women. I love that so much. I I don't want to share too much about my birth stories. I actually just recorded a podcast episode because I get a lot of questions about my birth stories. So I might release that soon. Um, But your last birth sounds very similar to my last birth, which was a home birth, but it was also that six minute, five to six minutes between contractions, basically until right up when I was in active labor, wasn't sure that I was in labor, doubted myself. Um, My best friend who lived down the street at the time when we were living in Pennsylvania, I was like calling her like, I can't do this. I'm going to have to go to the hospital. And she's like, you need to quit that. Like you are sabotaging, (laughs) you are self-sabotaging. So anyways, but Um, Also, just very interesting to hear about the difference in experiences that you had from birthing in the United States, um, like medical, medicalized birthing system to being overseas. And um, I've heard that same experience from a lot of women. Um, But I also just think it's so interesting to have to hear about these, these doctors who are males, I mean, females too, just as bad, but the males who are like mansplaining birth and, and giving us these (laughs) arbitrary rules and trends and things like, like women who have like, what is it less than a five and a half shoe size?
1: Five and a half shoe size and less. Like, in other words, if you're petite,
0: Yeah. Yeah. So my, um, my mom told me when I was pregnant with my first, because she had, she has two children and she had to have C-sections with both. She had to have in quotes, C-sections with both of us. She had a horrible, she was at a horrible hospital. Um, and this was also, you know, 30 plus years ago. So Um, she kind of warned me, like she was very well-meaning. She doesn't know a lot about birth, but she kind of warned me when I was pregnant that her doctors had told her that, you know, she had very narrow hips. And so she wasn't going to be able to birth naturally and that it's often genetics. She was like, you know, you may have inherited my narrow hips and you may not be able to have a natural birth. And I was like, mom, get that out of here. Like, stop it. You have (laughs) not I know that you mean well, and I know that you love me, but like, I cannot listen to that nonsense right now. Um, but it's just, I mean, it's, I'm so passionate about birth. Cause like I had a, you know, my first was a hospital birth. I was actually very fortunate because my doctors, I had like an OB team, right. And they mostly respected my wishes and I did have a birth plan and I did have a doula and I was able to have a natural unmedicated birth in the hospital. And it was overall a pretty good experience, but I was mocked a little bit by by one of my doctors when I told him I didn't want an epidural and, um, just overall even having a pretty positive hospital hospital birth experience I still knew after that experience that I wanted to birth at home the next time um and I'm I'm a lucky one because I got my birth plan respected and I I had the birth that I wanted but it wasn't perfect there were things I you know looked back on and I was like, that wasn't the best choice there. That wasn't the best way to support me there. Um, but yeah, so anyways, enough about my birth experiences, but I love chatting about birth and change, helping women to kind of change their mindset about birth. Because I think a lot of it really is like a cultural thing where we're told horror stories about birth from the time we we're little girls, hundred percent, you watch movies and shows, and birth is framed in this very negative way. The scare—it's the scary, horrible thing that you have to be in the hospital um, because it is a medical event, and you could die. I mean, why would we not be scared of birth with the way that we're raised, the yeah, world that no, we live in?
1: With you, a hundred percent on that. I think. I think what you're talking. I think women need to hear that. And so I'm glad that you're saying it on the podcast so that it just like gets out there because it is a hundred percent cultural. And you can see yeah. that from when you go, like you had mentioned United States to somewhere else. It's like, it, it's not even talked about in the same way that we, yeah. we do that here. And it is a culture thing. It's not because women's bodies in Europe are any different, you know? Right. So that's huge. And I have to yeah. laugh because my mom too, I'm the oldest of three girls. She had three cesarean births and there is a picture of me, my home birth, my last birth, where I am texting my mom, you know, heaven love her. Um, I'm, I'm think I'm in labor. I love you. Bye. Because even, even leading up to that and well-meaning, right. But she even reached out to my mother-in-law and said, just so you know, like I had these three cesareans and I don't know if she's going to be able to make it. And I don't know if this is safe. And I'm like, well, thank goodness. My mother-in-law didn't tell me that till later, but that kind of stuff is like it's rough as you're going, as you're going into your own birth space. So
0: yeah, you have to be in the right, the right mental space. And I mean, that's so important. Um, Okay. So you're in the birth world. Now you're in the birth space. What is your favorite thing about what you do?
1: My favorite thing about what I do is watching women get it, watching them light up, The light goes on, it clicks watching their birth partners along with them kind of like that. Oh my gosh. I like my favorite thing when I'm teaching birth classes or like the info that I get back from moms and dads, especially dads is I didn't know that I didn't know. And I'm so grateful that I know, and I know what I'm supposed to be doing, how to support her, how the process works. Um, You know, so often we leave dads completely out of this picture. It's like, and even us unintentionally, like we're the ones that have the baby growing inside of us. So we're doing all the research. We're reading about our changing bodies. We're reading about the uterus and our babies and all this stuff. And a lot of times, you know, and, and, and at the same time, we're expecting dad to support us in every way and to know how to do that. And then we get mad when dad shows up to the birth and he's like, I don't know what to do. I feel really out of my element. There's other professionals here doing their thing kind of like hands in the air. I love you, but I'm over here. Um, instead of them being completely a part of and in support of the birth process. So yeah, as I'm as I'm teaching moms and dads, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, just watching the light go on and and then moms that are that are getting excited and confident and feeling empowered going into their birth space instead of like, oh my, well, my provider said this, so I can't, you know, whatever. And yeah. all of a sudden we've made all these excuses to, as we, as to why we can't be in charge of our own bodies and have a say in our birth experience that we're going to leave, leave a birth space and look back and be able to have joy in that. So, so that is the fa- my yeah. favorite thing about what I, do.
0: that's I do. so cool. I love that. It makes me think, I always say, you know, we're kind of, um, our birth system here in the States kind of reinforces this model of women are a passive participant in their birth. And so it sounds like what you're saying is you love seeing them shift from like this kind of passive, passive participant to this active, like empowered mom who's about to have a baby. Right. And I think that's so cool. Um, it's almost like breaking free, like breaking free from this paradigm that we've kind of been yeah. exposed to our whole life of being this passive participant about our body and our, you know, getting pregnant and and going through pregnancy and having a baby. And we don't have to be passive in it. Like we're in charge. Yeah, totally. The whole time. I mean, yeah.
1: I think the thing women, I'll just say this for your listeners right now. Like if you are pregnant and you are listening to this, there is a 99% chance that you are going to have an induction conversation about week 39. And it doesn't matter how great of a provider or where you're giving birth um, or how great your pregnancy is going, or if there's nothing wrong with you and baby, you are going to have things come up specifically like induction that you cannot avoid. And if you don't know, because what they're going to say to you are things like, you know, at 39 weeks, well, we should schedule an induction date in case you go back, go past your due date, which is a 40 week guest date based off of a 28 day cycle and a 14 day ovulation. Well, let me tell you how many women have that, yeah. <laughs> have that those exact numbers. So we base this guest date, we give them a definite date, and then you've got a provider sometimes that will late-term ultrasound move your due date around, which is not evidence-based care, and I highly do not recommend that at all. And then then they start talking at 39 weeks about how unsafe it is to pass this guest date, um, even by a couple of days, maybe by a week or more, um, based off of... Specific numbers. And the problem with that is it, it, again, it takes away like our autonomy. It takes away our ability to say this is okay. And we start hearing things like, you know, based off of this study, we're looking at, um, further risks of stillbirth. You don't want to lose your baby. Do you, I mean, who's going yeah. <laughs> to say
0: what mom, oh. what mom?
1: No, of course. Right. Like, yes, that's. Um, and it's it's hard to push against that when you don't have that supportive provider. But if you don't know that actually with no other reasons, like just based off of a guest date, if mom and baby are doing fine, it's actually better, healthier, safer for you and your baby to wait until baby gives you the signal that it's time to go into labor. Um, and then you back that up with some evidence you know, moms, moms faced with that against a provider in in a white coat in their office out of of mom's comfort zone is going to be pushed into that situation almost every time. Yeah, for sure. Empowerment is huge. Yeah. (laughs) Education is huge.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. So why does it matter that women prepare for birth? Because, you know, you see these like trending TikToks or reels or posts that go viral by um, like nurses who work with, I don't even, I can't even think of their name right now, like maternity nurses, OB nurses, um, like mocking women that have birth plans and saying like, you can't really prepare for birth. So is there any truth to that? And if not, why does it matter? What do you mean by preparing for birth and why does that matter?
1: Yeah. First, a comment on, on what you had just mentioned. Um, I mean, we all know, just as women, that that is extremely inappropriate, um, just professionally or however you want to look at it. Obviously, that's a line that's been crossed. Um, there's not only confidentiality issues, but people should feel safe when they're going into professional care and not have to worry about stigmas and things like that, although it's important that we know they do exist. And so being aware of that is is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe, maybe, and I can't speak for them, but maybe the thought process on that side of things is... You know, mom comes in, comes in with birth plans or whatever, and it doesn't go how she wants, like birth does what it does, you know? Um, and I would say there is some truth to that, but if you are prepared in the sense that you're aware of, this is how the body works during labor. Here's what early stage, early, um, labor looks like. Here's what an active stage of labor looks like. Here's what your body and baby are doing inside. You know, as your uterus clamps down, your baby's actually pushing and moving through it. And so as your body is, as you are naturally Um, you know, before you you walk into your hospital setting, what are you doing at home in early labor? You are up and moving or you're resting in a position um, that feels good until it's time to get up and move. You're probably moving your hips back and forth, weighing or uh, swaying, maybe making some noises. You're choosing to use water. I mean, you're doing all these things naturally um, that help your baby move through your pelvis. But when you get into the hospital setting, then it's like, okay, well, let's make sure, first of all, we lay you on your back and monitor your contractions, which, you know, could be fairly uncomfortable at that point. For at least 20 minutes, you're probably going to get closer to 40 on the way in. Let's do a vaginal exam so that we can see and make sure you're in labor Um and then we're going to, you know, we've got to put the gown on and now you need an IV and um, we're going to put you in the bed, leaned back. And, and it just like it takes away all of this, the natural instincts of what you could, what you need for yourself for that labor process. Um, so when we talk about preparing and I kind of um, like within the course, we call it a birth map, for example. So we give you all the information of like, yes, you're going to know what your body's doing, what your baby's doing, how to work with it. And we're going to go over all the what if scenarios because birth is a map. There is an end destination, mom, baby, everybody's healthy, safe, baby's been born and you're both okay. There are a million different ways to get there. Um, And that can look different for every mom. So even a mom who's done all, she's taken the birth class. She's done her relaxation practice. She's done daily exercises to help strengthen, lengthen, support different parts of her body for labor and birth. She's eating healthy. She's low risk, um, you know, high protein diet, healthy, healthy eating, um, no blood sugar stuff, no gestational diabetes. You know, she's completely good to go. Even that mom and with all the preparation, could come up against things in her birth that are gonna throw her for a little bit of a loop, and that could be something as simple as we're doing the intermittent monitoring, meaning they put a um, a, a monitor on you and your baby. They're monitoring contractions and baby's heart rate. If you do intermittent at a hospital, they want 20 minutes every hour. So say you're doing that intermittent monitoring, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got a nurse in there that's like, mm, I can't find that heartbeat or. Um, I think we're seeing some D-cells, meaning that while mom's having a contraction, that heart rate is dropping um, or it's not recovering well when the contraction is over. If if And sometimes the instant conversation that you're having in a situation specifically like that is, I'm, I probably need to talk to the provider. I don't know what we're going to need to do here. We might be talking cesarean birth, depending on how long these D-cells go on. Well, if you don't know, simply like, oh, well, let me change positions. Why don't I try my left side instead of my right? You know, let me sit up instead of being leaned back or stand or sit on the birth ball um, next to the bed. Simple things like that can lead to this cascade of intervention. Um And so, yes, it makes sense to have a birth plan. Yes, I would absolutely bring it with you. And, you know, whether or not the people there are supportive, and I'm going to assume that the people listening today are going to go find supportive providers (laughs) and hospitals Mm -hmm. as best they can, because that's your number one thing that you can do. Um, But yeah, you bring that birth plan in and you bring copies and you put it up on the wall um, and you talk to your provider before you ever go into labor. That way, everybody knows, you know, you know, if you have to, be a little bit more stern with your provider because of the conversations that you're having with them prior. Um, but hopefully you know that you, you two are on the same page and that they're supportive of how you have prepared um, and, and plan to do things throughout your labor. And that can include, birth plans can include things like, I don't want an IV and I don't want to wear the hospital gown and I don't want continuous fetal monitoring. You get to choose all of that, but moms don't know that or they feel pressured otherwise. Um, and that power really needs to go back to mom's.
0: Absolutely. I had a doula with my first, when I had a hospital birth and I, she helped me come up with a birth plan. It was the best choice I made as a first time mom birthing in the hospital was hiring a doula. And, um, I didn't have an IV and I did not have any, any fetal monitoring. Um, I pretty much did nothing. Like I did nothing that they like advised me to do. And they were fine with it. Again, I was very fortunate. They were supportive of my birth plan, but, um, for me, I think everything you said is so important. I didn't, prepare very much for like the physiological aspect of birth and like how birth actually works during my first pregnancy. It was more of researching birth interventions, which I think both of those are very, very important. But with my second, I took a birth course that walked me through what is actually happening when you're birthing and why relaxation is so important and how being the the what is it the is it called the fear tension pain cycle the yeah fear, yeah fear yeah. tension pain so you're you're scared you're tense you have more pain versus yeah. when you're relaxed you have less pain not that I know that some people talk about like birth free or pain free labors I've never had a pain free birth I I'm haven't. sure that's possible for some women <laughs> but like for me I don't think that's realistic for all women. Um, but like, it's so important to learn how to, how to relax and, um, manage your stress in order to reduce pain and then in order to make it easier for the baby to come out. And so that was like my light bulb moment when I went through that educational program, because I hadn't, I didn't know that, like, I didn't know that I have some control over how easily my baby births out of me. We're just told, you know, it just happens. Like you said, it's birth just happens. Well, birth does just happen, but there's a lot we can do to influence birth. But then, so I'm wondering, does your course include information on um, birth interve- potential birth interventions that may be offered and the evidence behind them? Because that, I think, is like the second huge component for me is you have to – part of the birth preparation has to be learning about the interventions because, like you're, you're saying, you have to have knowledge about them so that you're well-equipped to say, hey, no, I don't want that right now because they use these fear tactics. And like you said, if you don't yeah. know – of course you're going to be scared and you're going to agree to whatever they say because the doctor knows best, right? Which right. I mean, they don't all the time, but <laughs> so does your course include information about that? Yeah.
1: In fact, it's one of our longest lessons. I think it's like a 42 minute lesson. And then obviously all the information in the workbook and the evidence behind it for sure. Um, cause you're right. If you don't know, then whoops. You know then, yeah. then all of a sudden you're not in control of it, um, and I think what you said too is important. Coercion does exist; it does exist in the medical field, and it does exist in labor and delivery. Um, that's very real. And if we if we allow if we allow someone to do that to us, what it does to us, even as we move into motherhood, is painful. Um, and it can take another birth or many years in counseling to be able to recover from that versus going into it from a place of um, of confidence and understanding the benefits and risks and being able to have a say in in what they're bringing up.
0: Yeah. I mean, birth trauma is very real. And I think a lot of people think of birth trauma just as like physical birth trauma and it's not always physical birth trauma. It's oh, no. also emotional and mental and coercion and feeling violated. And I, I think the stat is like
1: mm-hmm. one in three
0: women experience birth trauma now. I mean, that's not normal. Yeah. That's it. And that's a low stat because those are the women that report it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it, and yeah,
1: you know, the, the way that I've been, um, kind of going over this with people lately, cause I'll have people, you know, come into the DMS or they'll, they'll send me an email like my provider is saying this. And, and what do you, you know, what do you think about this situation or whatever? And I'm like, here's the thing. First off, I'm not a medical provider. I'm not your medical provider. I can't give you medical advice. And I can tell you that if you took this situation and brought it to another provider, that they might have a different opinion. Does that mean the other provider um, is being left safe with your situation, that they care less, that they're incompetent? Um, No. And when you look at it like that, you realize that a lot of the medical advice that we are given from providers is backed by a lot of their personal feelings and opinions. And that's where it gets a little sticky for us as moms, because our intuition oftentimes is telling us something different. But without that knowledge, without that evidence piece like you're talking about, what are we going to do with it? But when you have that, then you can say, and this is where a lot of moms find power, you know, halfway through the course. And they're like, "Um, I'm going to go check out a different provider. (laughs) I'm going to go interview a different OB at a different hospital or move to a midwife group or end up at a, at a birth center or home birth. And that's why that's exactly why, because one provider is telling you all these things. And then they, sometimes I'll say, just go interview with an out of hospital midwife and ask them the same questions. Um, you know, oftentimes they end up deciding that's where they'd like to be, but if nothing else, it brings up that awareness of like, Oh yeah, that's what I was feeling. Like, why is there such a heavy weight when I'm in, in this, you know, presence of this provider. And over here, I feel like I were on the same page here and I can listen to my body. So I think that's really important to notice. It's, one provider's opinion does not make it a fact and does not make you saying yes or no to what they're saying does not make you any any worse or better of a person it's just that you get to be part of that decision making
0: right yeah i think that's really good advice so you you've mentioned a couple of things in terms of how to prepare or like what things are important to prepare for birth like having a supportive provider um it, what other like major things would you say are most important for pregnant women to consider or how they can prepare for birth?
1: Yeah, I really, um, I do believe the basis of good preparation when it comes to birth is good nutrition and good exercise. Um, I think if you can have a high protein, well-balanced diet, meaning high protein, you were having healthy, um, fats, carbs, um, I'm I'm missing one here. (laughs) fats, carbs, proteins, fiber, um, if, if you are focusing on that as the foundation, the, the best that you can do right there is to keep yourself healthy and low risk, right? When we ta- start getting later into pregnancy um, and women are concerned about preeclampsia, gestational diabetes that could have possibly been avoided, could have likely been avoided with a really strong um, nutrition from the beginning, I would start there. Um, and then exercise is not necessarily maybe what you're thinking. Um, you should be moving your body about 20 minutes a day. I think walking is pretty underrated. If you could be walking 20 minutes a day and get yourself outside, um, that's really, really positive. And then obviously I have a couple of exercises. I It'll be included in the link for today. Um, the three exercises where we're talking about pelvic tilts and squats and a forward leaning inversion, um, these things that can be done daily that help prepare your body physically um, for the process of birth. And then there's the mental aspect and um, the physical relaxation. So, and those, they can go together. Oftentimes we do them together. So that would be like relaxation practice. And obviously I have several within the birth course and you probably did some of this yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. Just learning to be quiet focus on your body, breathe through your belly, um, get your mind to relax and be in tune with the different places of your body where you can release tension or, um, kind of breathe out like negativity and things. Uh, and then there's the, the, um, the mindset part where it's like all of us going into birth are going to have some kinds of concerns, something that pops up. I'm not a good mom. I'm not going to be able to get through birth. My mom couldn't. So I can't, and those things really need to be addressed because they're going to become more and more prominent as you get closer to that labor time. So that's where it's like, okay, we're going to work on on some of this fear and stuff. You're going to write down all of these fears on the left side, and for every fear or concern or whatever negative things, you're going to put two positives for each one in the form of a of a positive statement on the right side. So if the fear is I can't, um, I'm afraid I can't give birth vaginally. Um, you're gonna have two positives that are completely opposite of that. One might be, my body is completely prepared to give birth. You know, my body is made to do this. Um, another could just be a, a simple affirmation of I can do anything for a minute, you know, or every time my uh, my belly contracts, I'm opening and releasing and then you build on that mindset as you as you go throughout the course or as you go throughout your pregnancy and you start saying those things out loud regularly to yourself in the mirror and it might sound goofy and weird and whatever but it totally works and then you go from having you know all this fear to being really confident so then the other piece obviously is all that education that you get so that when you are having to deal with those things in labor you've already worked through a lot of them beforehand
0: yeah, I think it all goes hand in hand. I think all of the advice you just gave is so powerful and I feel like if all pregnant women had that information, it could really change the the trajectory of a lot of their their births and um I had talked about earlier how the relaxation piece was so important, were so important to me because I'm a very like tense, anxious person and so that's something <laughs> yeah. that personally like I need to work on a lot and one thing that really clicked for me was somebody told me, you know, It's not enough. It might be enough for somebody, but it wasn't enough for me to just like practice these relaxation strategies at night as I'm falling asleep because you have to train yourself to try to relax when you're in a state of stress or pain. So yes. I would like during the day when my kids, my kids, child was like screaming around me, I would try to like go center myself. And like, I might not get into like this Zen mode, but I'm working on relaxing. I'm listening to like the same soundtracks over and over again, because then it triggers your brain. Like I've been listening to the soundtrack. Yes. I've been going into relaxation mode. These are the same soundtracks I'm going to listen to in birth because it'll trigger that relaxation response. So Those things were just so helpful to me. And if I had known those for my first birth, I mean, my first birth was just fine. Like it was fine, but my pushing stage was really hard. I had a really hard time relaxing. I feel like it would have been so much better.
1: Yeah. Well, and what you're talking about is muscle memory. Like, yes, when you are listening to the same track over and over again, and every time you're listening, you're relaxing, then naturally over time, when you put that track in, your body's going to be like, oh yeah, this is what we're doing. Um, And when you, yeah, when you can lean into that. And so we talk about using all the senses, right? So using a smell, dimming the lights, putting something in your ear, like a meditation track, all of that. Yeah.
0: Yes. Perfect. Love that. What about dads? So what's your very best advice for dads who want to support their partners? Be involved,
1: (laughs) Um, be just as involved as your, as, as mom is. So if she's listening to podcasts, if she's reading books, if she signs up for a birth course you suit up and show up and you do all those things with her the best that you can. You're not going to be perfect at it. It's going to feel weird. I remember the first time my husband, I shouldn't even say first time when my husband and I would do labor rehearsals, whether that was at the hospital classes or when we took a much longer birth course with people that we had known for quite a while now. Um, oh my gosh, it was so goofy, right? Cause we're laying next to each other and he's trying to touch and feel for tension or give me reminders to, you know, breathe or whatever. Um, The benefit of something like that, especially around other people as you're having to give your your wife reminders for things is guess what you're going to be in a hospital setting or another setting with other people that are not your friends and family, um, where you're going to have to offer that advice. Um, So that part is good. But so even basically, even if it's goofy just do it, just, just own it as much as she is. Um, and she'll be really appreciative of that. you both will, because when it's done right, when you can be there and, and be supportive for her, um, it's one of the most bonding experiences you're ever going to have.
0: Yeah, totally. What would you say for to women who are having a hard time deciding where they want to give birth? Like whether it's a hospital or birth center or home birth, do you have any advice to, to decide where is the best place for you to birth? Yeah, I do. Um
1: first of all, you can reach out to people that you know. Um I would say reach out to people that had birth births that touch your heart that are like this is something that I would like to experience and through talking to some of your friends, you might realize that's not the birth I want to experience. So I think you can reach out to people that way. Um but really what it's going to come down to and it's kind of, I joke that it's this like chicken egg situation. Like, which do I do first? Right. Because I think you need two things to have a really successful birth. And by successful, I mean a birth that you look back with and you're really happy that about how it went. Um, I think you need a really great support team. And I think you need to have, you need to understand what you're up against, what your options are and how to work with your body. So in other words, a really great birth course, but which do you do first? Right. Right. Um, because if you don't know what you want, if you can't envision the birth that you want and, and how you want that to go, then you're not going to know where to find the right birth support. Um, so I always say if you can like take, take 15 minutes, close your eyes picture from the very first contraction all the way through to the end of pushing what happens during that birth. Where are you? Who's with you? How are you coping? Do you have an epidural who's in the room? Um, and kind of walk yourself through that and how it feels and then kind of work backwards and decide, well, what do I need to do to get there? Uh, then that can help you decide where you want to be. But but you have to do the work in interviewing more than just one provider. If you just go like I did so I was like, we were in California. I was like, that one has an ocean view, that hospital right there. I would like a provider that, that works at that hospital. And then I found the first name that came up on my provider's insurance search online and I went to them. And then I had a cesarean birth, you know, mm-hmm. an unnecessary cesarean. Um, so I should have interviewed more people. I You're not married to them and they're not cops, you know, like you can't, you can just, you can, I don't know. It just feels like they have such strong authority, you know, like oh, you yeah. can't say no to them for anything. And it's like, no, they actually work for you. You're hiring them to work for you. They don't have control yeah. over that. So yeah, interview the, the different places. And I think that'll give you a really good view. And those interviews are free. You can meet even with providers at their, their doctor's offices for free. Um, midwives out of hospital midwives, those interviews are free. What's it going to hurt to go, go talk to them and see how you feel.
0: Right. What are some good things to ask when you interview a provider?
1: Again, you need to know. Yes. I love that question so much. Um, you need to know exactly what you're looking for, you know, for you, I'll tell you. So for example, interview questions that I had, um, especially after that first baby, it was, what are your thoughts on VBAC? Are you VBAC supportive? Um, I think another really good one, and I say to have this in the first first trimester, is it, um, for a mom that is healthy and low risk or for a mom like me, whatever your status is, maybe you do have gestational diabetes or something. So for a mom in my situation, my first baby, second baby, whatever, um, what do those births normally look like? Um, how often do you end up inducing how often do you see someone like me having a cesarean birth within your practice? Um, And that's a different way of asking what's your cesarean birth rate? How many inductions do you do? Because if you come to them and those are the questions out of your mouth, um, they're a little startling. Like they feel like they need to be on the defensive, probably rightfully so. It just feels like an awkward conversation. Um, But but there are a list of questions, um, including, again, back to if you know what you want, like, do you require that, um, that I have monitoring the whole time? Is intermittent monitoring available? Do I need to have an IV? Um, and how you ask them is really important too, especially like, I think of like the induction question. Um, it's like, w- at what point do you feel like induction is appropriate? Or, you know, at what point, how many weeks do you normally see women being induced and for what, for what reasons? And it allows the provider, I kind of jokingly like, it allows them to kind of put their own foot in their mouth. <laughs> if you ask it the right way, um, it's not necessarily so much what they're saying, it's how they're saying it too. And that can give you an idea of, is this going to be something that I can work with or not? If I give them that leading question and they just take it and run like, yes, I'm definitely going to be over your body. Yes. If you hit this time, you're going to be induced rather than um, well at around 39 weeks, we do like to schedule induction or talk about it at that point. It just gives you an idea of how, how that relationship is going to go. And if you're going to be in charge of your body or not, but we actually do have an entire list of questions for providers, OBs, um, and midwives. I think it's on our Instagram and in the link tree in the bio, but, but there is, yeah, there's so many questions. Yeah, There are a lot of questions.
0: <laughs> and I think as you're talking, I mean, it really is like, which came first the chicken or the egg because it, mm-hmm. it's if you don't know you don't know what to ask a lot of exactly. women don't even know they can ask like when I was yeah. a first-time mom I just picked an OB provide it was like a, a team you know and I didn't know that I could ask one question I just thought what they say kind of just goes like they they're the experts yeah. and so you have to first have at least a little bit of knowledge to to realize actually hey I'm in charge here um and it's tricky because like childbirth you don't have to have any interventions if you don't want them or you don't feel like you need them. And there's kind of this, this medicalized birth system has created this, this birthing process, this birthing system where it's just full of interventions. And so most women are going into pregnancy and childbirth thinking this is the norm and not realizing that they can have this on the other side too, with no interventions, or they can have somewhere in the middle. And so it's hard to get past that initial like belief system of, Everything has to have an intervention or a test or a you know you don't have to do any of it if you don't want to,
1: yeah, which is crazy, right? Like you don't even have to have the gestational diabetes test if you don't want to. That is yeah. a recommended test, yeah, anyways, I'm gonna
0: get in trouble for that. but it's true. yeah, <laughs> Are you talking, you're that's the glucola, right. Yeah, you don't, I didn't do glucola my second time around, but I did do like the, I did do the blood sugar test. Like my midwife, um, had me just check my blood sugar like two times or something after I ate or whatever. I don't remember the exact like constraints or rules, but, um, yeah, you don't, women don't know. They don't have to do the glucola test or get any of the, any of the testing. Really? Um, you don't have to do all of the ultrasounds. You don't have to do any of the ultrasounds if you don't want to, we're not saying you shouldn't. It's right. Just, it's but just it's a your personal choice. decision. Yeah. Right. And so it's good to r- do your research. Like we've been talking about this whole time and figure out like, what are the benefits of doing these interventions? What are the potential risks? Is there any benefit? Because a lot of times there's actually not benefit. Like there's actually pretty substantial research about a lot of these interventions that shows a lot of them have no different outcomes if you don't do them versus if you do. And women don't know that. Other than so. maybe
1: getting forced into some things that you don't want yes. to because yes. you did them.
0: Some of them like, have negative like you, outcomes.
1: Yes. Like having vaginal exams. I think that's yeah. a huge one. Like, And especially like later in pregnancy, if you at 39 weeks and ready, they're going to talk about induction. Like I've promised you, they absolutely will. But if you don't have a vaginal exam, they can't say, oh, you're really closed still and not effaced at all. So we probably should start talking about like your body is not gearing up. Well, if they don't see it, they don't know. And you can have a mom that has a vaginal exam at whatever week and she's, you know, closed off and the cervix is really hard and all of that and goes into labor and has a baby that night. So those things don't tell us anything,
0: but they can completely be used in the opposite against us. Yes, absolutely. And I think just one more thing. I think so many of these interventions also have like a, a mental negative impact on mom. Yes. So for, for example, yes. with my first had the, you know, the typical OB hospital birth and pregnancy, and I was measuring small, right. In quotes, mm-hmm. um, I'm, my husband is a very small person. I'm not a huge person. So that's not like, that shouldn't be super concerning. Right. But they, they wanted me to get an, an ultrasound to check her size, Um, I think I was 36 weeks pregnant. I was stressed about, I had to schedule it a week out. So the whole time I'm like terrified that there's something wrong with my baby because they were saying she could be, what is the intra intra it's like restricted growth, whatever that term is. Um, so I have to wait a week for the the ultrasound to get the results. I'm stressed out about it. Um, and she was fine. She was, she measured fine, but also those ultrasounds, are historically inaccurate and not very effective at actually determining size of your baby. So like the mental stress of me having to worry about a potential issue that ended up not being an issue and is often not an issue, like that happens to mothers every day in the system. Yeah. It's not just about like physical outcomes. It's also about Again, it's all related, right? As we're giving birth, we want to reduce our stress as much as possible. Of course, sometimes there are things that are going to cause stress. Sometimes there are issues that we need to get addressed. But overall, it's like we have to find this balance of minimizing interventions unless they're absolutely necessary and weighing also like the mental and stress risks of those interventions with the potential positives.
1: Yeah. I don't think the medical system
0: is good at that at all, like at all. They're not. (laughs) It's like- They don't see that side of it, it seems like, which is really frustrating. Okay, well, that was so great. That was a great conversation. I learned a lot from you, and I'm sure our listeners did too. Stephanie, can you just tell people if they want to learn more from you or um, if they want to take your course, like where they can find your information and resources?
1: Yes. Um the birth course is myessentialbirth.com. Everything you need to get started is right there. Um that also links to the podcast or you can listen to pregnancy and birth made easy anywhere that you listen to podcasts. I'm on a lot of social Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. Um, all of those are at my essential birth.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Stephanie. Thank you. I really appreciate it.